Coming up, we close out the worst case week scenario by taking a look at the Brooklyn Nets 2023-24 schedule where they ultimately dealt a rough road, especially right out of the gates. What are the key dates for the in-season tournament, the returns of superstars Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, and how that home stretch lines up for Brooklyn to earn their path to the playoffs? We dive in coming up next. You are Locked On Nets, your daily Brooklyn Nets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Ah, yes, my friends, it is the Locked On Nets podcast right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team, the Brooklyn Nets, every single day. Not seen over there is Doug Norrie, owner-operator of DFSR. For all your daily fantasy sports ranking from DraftKings to FanDuel, he's got you covered. I'm Adam Armbrecht breaking down the New York football giants on the One Giant podcast and your New Jersey Devils on the Devils Puck Luck podcast. We thank you for making us your first listen of the day free on all those great platforms and let you know today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. And where we get started, friends, is taking a look at the Brooklyn Nets upcoming schedule, breaking down how it starts the, the path in the middle that gets a little mucked up, some key dates along the way, and ultimately whether or not we think that this was a bad break from a scheduling standpoint for the Brooklyn Nets in a season where we know the aspiration is to get back to the playoffs, and certainly there are going to be some roadblocks in the way. We'll get into the return of Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving in the in-season tournament here in segment number two. But to kick things off, let's start right at the top. The opening schedule for the Brooklyn Nets is going to be our first taste of a full off season, full training camp, a lot of new faces, certainly in the supporting cast, but the primary guys, the Mikhail Bridges, Cameron Johnson's of the world are there. We expect that it's going to be our first chance maybe to see a fully healthy Ben Simmons in a Brooklyn Nets uniform and obviously expectations around Cam Thomas as well and his expanding role to say nothing of Dennis Smith Jr. and all the other guys that we know are going to be in the mix. But if we talk about it, we're going to go all the way to that quarter mark, the first 20 games. But the opening 10, they open at home at Barclays Center against the Cleveland Cavaliers and then immediately go on the road, Dallas, Charlotte, Miami, and Chicago before returning back home to close out those first 10 with Boston, Milwaukee, the Clippers, and then going on the road to Boston before rounding out back at home against Washington. Now, what are we going to learn from this, right? A lot of playoff teams in this picture. The top teams from the Eastern Conference, if you include the fact that Miami went to the finals, obviously, along with Boston and Milwaukee in the mix. I originally looked at this and said, and if Doug Norrie were here, I think he would agree, disagree by one game around what is the expectation. This team can easily go three and seven over the first 10 games. And that wouldn't even be a matter of them playing bad. They are not going to be favored in seven out of these 10 matchups they'll be favored against charlotte they'll be favored against washington and arguably because they're on the road by FanDuel standards the chicago bulls have a lower win per total uh, total projection for over under but maybe they won't be favored there so maybe three games they'll be favored and all the other ones are going to be underdogs i'm making the case that the brooklyn nets would need to get that opening night win against cleveland make a statement that especially at home, 
you're going to be a tough team. Show the identity, the, di- the defensive identity that you believe you have constructed here. And show that guys like Mikhail Bridges are going to take that continued next step forward. That Cameron Johnson is going to really expand his usage and role inside of this offensive system. And that some of these key pickups that Sean Marks made are going to have a high, a high impact. And we're basically going to pr- paint a pretty positive picture throughout the course of this before we round out on why it could be a bit of an issue. If you don't get that win against Cleveland, you're three and seven coming out of the gates. But I think at some point, you're going to have to challenge the Nets. And why not do it opening night? And then you deal with the rest of it, right? So give me those wins, the home win against Cleveland, Charlotte, Chicago, and Washington. Four and six. You go four and six in your first 10 games, you feel really good. And the reason why you can feel really good about that or why you should feel really good about it is because when you turn it over, you'll have one marquee win there and you want to play those other games tough. But as we expand it out to the quarter mark of the season, which is usually how Doug and I look at the season, give me 20 games because you will see some new things that are being implemented. You'll see the health of certain players like Ben Simmons. You'll see the depth roles that you want to utilize, whether it is Cam Thomas, who we hope is growing in his role. But what about Lonnie Walker, Dennis Smith Jr., right? We want to see how these guys are integrated into Jock Vaughn's system and how effective they can be. When you turn it over and take it all the way to 20, which is going to lead you through Orlando at home, you're going to catch some difficult ones like Miami, the 76ers, which I think is a real toss-up kind of matchup this season, depending on what's going to happen here with James Harden and if he gets traded, if they get back quality players in return. Atlanta's in the mix there as well. But then you hit the stretch, which will wrap up the 20-game mark on December 11th in Sacramento, kicking off a West Coast tour there. Uh, for the Brooklyn Nets on a five-game homestand, Miami, Chicago, Toronto, Charlotte again, and the Orlando Magic. This needs to be a team that is probably can probably win somewhere between eight and 11 games in the first 20, and 11 is going to be the high mark side, and I'm going to pin them down at being nine and 11 through 20 games. You have to be able to look at Orlando, Charlotte, Toronto, even though you have to watch how they come out the gates and if they're competitive, Chicago, because they have a clearly defined ceiling, it feels like, running back veterans from last year that came up short and struggled. And then you think about the the hard matchups against like the Miamis, the Atlanta Hawks become interesting as well. But you need to be a 9-11 and through those first 20 games. You need to be sniffing around 500 for a very specific reason. Because none of these stretches here include a ton outside of that intro there. When you get Dallas, you got to go through, pull out the Clippers. That makes two and pull out the Kings. That is three West Coast teams in the first 20 games. So on the one hand, you're saying, hey, you're right around 500. But is that enough? Or do the Brooklyn Nets really need to be putting their foot down over these Eastern Conference teams and saying, we are considered to be a top six team that's what we're going to find out very early on and it's going to come down to by the way in any of these matchups the offensive end of the court i think the defense is going to hold itself accountable i think that the versatility they've brought in is going to work for them it's just going to come down to do we have enough on the offensive end right is cam thomas being utilized to his maximum potential is mikhail bridges and cameron johnson carrying this offensive unit are guys like dorian finney smith knocking down the open three-pointers when those opportunities come for them. If Brooklyn falters in what we perceive to be very checkable boxes in terms of expectations for players, things can devolve here in a hurry. And that includes Ben Simmons and his health. 
Though I don't know how many wins or losses you want to chalk up to him early in the year. But we said this the last episode when we talked about concerns when it came to Ben Simmons. Two episodes ago, excuse me. What if he's just what he was last year? All of a sudden, you're not unlocking things. All of a sudden, the pecking order starts to get a little bit muddied. And you're reaching a little bit deeper into your bench and into your rotation than you want to be far sooner in the season. Coming up here in a second, we'll highlight where the key in-season tournament games line up and why that's unfortunate for Brooklyn. We'll also talk about the returns of Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving to the Barclays Center, as well as our stars, Mikhail Bridges and Cameron Johnson, going back to Phoenix and how we think there could be some critical moments along the way. Before we do that, got to tell you about our friends over at FanDuel. Yeah, we mentioned at the top of the show there, and we're going to let you know about them once again. You can go right now. Football season, that's about to kick off, even a little bit ahead of the NBA season, and FanDuel is giving you a chance to win all season long because right now when you bet on a Super Bowl winner, you can get bonus bets every time they win in the regular season. So while I may be a homer for the New York Giants, you want to think about the Chiefs. You maybe maybe want to take a chance on the Jets with Aaron Rodgers now, right? Who's chalking up big wins? Or think about some of the weaker divisions where they're just going to get beat up a little bit and get yourself some bonus bets every time they get a win throughout the season. Just pick any team to win the Super Bowl and you'll get bonus bets for every victory. You can use your bonus bets on spreads, player props, over-unders, and so much more. So go ahead and visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and start earning bonus bets with America's number one sportsbook. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. Okay. So now let's turn our attention to the other aspects inside of this season. We talk about the first 20, and when we wrap up in the closeout of this show, we're going to highlight the back-end 21 games and get us to half of a season and break down whether or not we think the Nets are capable of having the level of success in those 41 games that are going to be necessary. But the other part of this is, one, the in-season tournament, two, some other notes just about the way the schedule is for the Brooklyn Nets in terms of travel and different pockets, and then also the return of Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving to the Barclays Center for the first time with their new teams. And we can also take a look over at Mikhail Bridges and Cameron Johnson, who get the opportunity to go back to Phoenix. That opening one, by the way, um, Dallas game, will be the return, if this excites you, for uh, Spencer Dinwiddie and Dorian Finney-Smith back to Dallas. So there's all these little fun narratives that go on here, but First and foremost, when we look at the in-season tournament, which Doug and I talked about going back to last week, on paper being in the group with Chicago, Boston, Orlando, and Toronto, really good chance to make it out of the group stage. However, right there at the top of the season, as we said, that Chicago game on the road is going to come on the heels of three road games, Dallas, Charlotte, okay, fine, but then Miami. So where are the Nets going to be? Just three games, just four games into the season, the fifth game of their season against a veteran-heavy team like Chicago who grossly under underachieved last year. But are the Nets going to have all the kinks ironed out? These are very early matchups for a team that is going to be having some evolution to their roster, right? A healthy Ben Simmons coming back. Whether or not all these little pieces, the Dennis Smith Juniors of the world, all these guys we're talking about, right? Are they going to be ready? Are they going to be plugged in? Are they going to have all of their their plays ready to roll we hope so but an experienced team could certainly catch you off guard in that vein you turn back around and we said on the 10th against boston in boston now this may be a game that we chalk up generally as a loss inside of the group stage and maybe inside the season but if you wanted a hope of it you're coming off a three-game homestand which is nice but that's the boston milwaukee la clippers 
and then you go on the road to take on Boston. So those first two games inside the group stage are difficult, and then you follow it up on the 14th. This is the first nice one back at home after playing Washington. You get the Orlando Magic. You want to chalk that up for a win. If you've lost the game to Chicago, then it really may not matter You know, getting out of the group stage if you don't get this win against Orlando, obviously. But then it's a big two-week layover until you get the Toronto Raptors on the 28th, where we'll know for sure. If you haven't taken those first two against Chicago and against the Orlando Magic, this game's not going to matter relative to the in-season tournament. And this also, if we're going to get a lucky break, comes in the five-game homestand, Miami, Chicago again. So, you know, maybe there's an early season kind of rivalry, depending on who wins or loses that first in-season tournament game. Toronto's right in the middle with Charlotte and with Orlando afterwards. This has all of these circle it and mark it down as a, you know, sell sellout game here. Everything you want to put on the line, if it means making it out of the group stage, you can afford to do. And depending on what's happened with Toronto, maybe this game doesn't matter the same. And that little extra juice could be beneficial to the Brooklyn Nets. But it's still tricky. Even though it seems like a very get out of out of a bull group stage, it's going to be a hard one for the Nets to totally master here because of where it falls, frankly, not only around some of the other games that are on the schedule, but how early in the season this is for a team that is trying to get all their new pieces to fit together and reacclimate a guy like Ben Simmons, who's been here, but has not been on the court, healthy and productive. The little note about the Phoenix Suns game there, which is a road game on December 13th, that's the return for Mikhail Bridges and for Cameron Johnson. Would expect that they get absolutely celebrated um, by their fan base because they have Kevin Durant now. And that's well worth right the cost of giving up two of your uh, quote younger players, not obviously you know, young 20s, but they were your two really important pieces. Always viewed, though, as supporting cast members. And so now you can celebrate them as a Phoenix Suns fan because you're watching them go have their next version of their next step of their career. And the next step of their career, by the way, is not on a championship level team with expectations of going and playing for the title this season or next season, right? So that should make it really easy for those guys to be celebrated, which will be a nice moment for them. Fast forward, though, to the other key matchups we talked about. End of January will be the return of Kevin Durant to Barclays Center followed up just three games later by Kyrie Irving's return on February 6th with the Dallas Mavericks, both games at Barclays Center for those. I don't know how much it matters, but I am fascinated just by the idea of Kevin Durant returning and how he's received by the fan base and then Kyrie Irving. I mean, this is like one of those really silly things. The old player tribute videos. Are they putting that up there for both of these players? And I'll tell you right now, if it was on the table, Kyrie Irving's not getting one. I don't believe, right? Because there's there's a stark contrast. However you feel about them as individual personalities, even though Kevin Durant requested the trade, it seems like the end of that relationship was a as balanced, as even-keeled, as without animosity as it possibly could be. He gets to where he wants to go in Phoenix, we get a King's Ransom with Mikhail Bridges and Cameron Johnson and all the picks back. In the case of Kyrie Irving, it was, I don't care where you want to go. We're going to send you to Dallas, right? And he goes there, and that doesn't quite work out. They don't even make the playoffs. There was a lot of contentiousness between those two sides around contract negotiations, expectations, and otherwise. So, I, I mean, I'm curious about how the organization maybe treats them. 
because I could see that I could see the highlight videos going up for Kevin Durant, whether it doesn't matter, but I can see those getting played. I can see those getting played on the 31st of January. And then just three games later, I can see them not being played when Kyrie Irving returns. And that would then be a story. And how do the fan bases react? I think in a lot of ways, because we're at least from a, from our podcast standpoint, we're removed from this, right? We don't have any need to necessarily outside of wanting those teams to underachieve so that our draft capital looks better. We don't have anything to be acrimonious about. Kyrie Irving comes back. Do I want the Nets to win the game, especially more so against Dallas, maybe than against Phoenix? Yes, there does feel like there's maybe a little more juice there. So I, I, th- th- those, those are two very key dates and really fun moments for the Brooklyn Nets and for the Brooklyn Nets fan base to come out, support the team first and foremost, and maybe get to have a little bit of a fun statement upset over either one of those teams, though on paper, that's going to be an uphill battle. I'm sure that Mikhail Bridges and Cameron Johnson are going to be extra hyped for the Phoenix game, both in Phoenix and in Barclays. Likewise for Dorian Finney-Smith and Spencer Dinwiddie. It's to a lesser degree, but I think it does really matter. The other notes about the schedule here too, Brooklyn has 14 back-to-back dates on their schedule. That is a heaping helpful. That is a lot of back-to-backs. And some of those come in against really difficult matchups. I won't rattle through all of them, but it's just the timing of those can be pretty brutal. And they have significant stretches where they're going to be playing a lot of road games, a lot, you know, the home games are somewhat maybe unfortunately balanced in terms of having really difficult matchups inside of them. So you can't just say, hey, home cooking. And then when you go on the road, it makes it harder, even when it feels like these are bad teams, quote unquote, by NBA standards. You can't just chalk it up when you're on the road and when you're on long stretches, something we'll talk about here on the back end of the episode. The other note, in case you're wondering, no, the Brooklyn Nets are not getting featured uh, a lot on national TV. They have that first in-season tournament game on ESPN against Boston, three games on NBA TV, which Doug and I usually don't count as being national TV because not everybody has that channel per se. That's it. That is the extent of when they're going to be seen um, on national TV. So it, it is a changing of the guard, right? And that changes the money that your organization is bringing in. It changes the perception of your organization, how they're being viewed, because this is not a team that is considered to be of a level that you want national eyes on them. And I think, by the way, just as like an overall note, the NBA probably at times, while you can get good key matchups and you want to focus on your stars, certainly, they might do a little bit of a disservice in not, for example, Knicks Nets. That could be a very, very fun game, any one of them this season. Now, do they have the highest level of superstars on their teams? No. But would that make for really entertaining and engaging television, especially with two teams in the New York market? 100%. So sometimes I think that they can be a little bit short-sighted in that regard, but it is what it is. Coming up here in a second, we talked about the first 20 games of the season. What are two key stretches on this schedule that will make up the back end of the Brooklyn Nets season and why ultimately, if they not do not achieve to the highest level they possibly can, they could find themselves on the outside looking in. We dive in on that in a moment. Okay, so talking Brooklyn Nets schedule, talking about how if you are pessimistic, they could be three and seven in their first 10 games. And if they are three and seven, then when I say they can be nine and 11 through 20, well, that may be eight and 12. Maybe it's seven and 13. And then things can start to really come off the rails a little bit. 
And even more importantly, when we go and take a look at the back end of this season. So originally, as I said at the top, we think about here's this 10-game chunk now extended out to 20. That's a quarter of your season. And I was looking at the back end of this season and saying the last 10 games. And I almost got to 12 because it kicks off with the Knicks, Toronto, and Washington and down the road. But when I was looking over for one of the more favorable stretches for the Brooklyn Nets, March 7th, after being, and I actually ended up including March 5th in this, a home game against the Philadelphia 76ers because they have a four-game home stretch from the 29th to the 5th that includes Atlanta, in back-to-back games, both at home, the Memphis Grizzlies, and then the Phoenix, and then the Philadelphia 76ers. And I included that so I can get to 41 and be at the halfway mark when it's all said and done. But starting with that game, home against Philly, then the road tour begins. It's going to be 10 out of 12 games on the road. But inside of that, Detroit, Charlotte, Cleveland, Orlando, Uh, the Indiana Pacers, the Spurs, that's six straight road games. Then they come home for the Pelicans and go right back on the road for Milwaukee, New York, Toronto, and Washington. And then you get into what ends up being the last one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine games. So over those 12, though, over that stretch, I've highlighted these teams earlier as well. You have to beat Washington. Maybe by this point, Toronto has sold off pieces at the deadline, whatever the case may be. You should be a better team than them. You have to beat them. You have to beat San Antonio. You have to beat Orlando. You have to beat Charlotte. You have to beat Detroit. That's six right there. And then you throw that Pacers game into the mix. You say, can you get one off of Cleveland? Where is Philadelphia in that home opener of this stretch that we're talking about right now? This is a stretch from the 5th of March to the 27th of March where you need to be, if you want to be successful, you need to win seven or eight games and probably eight. Probably has to be eight. And if we believe that, and I even lowballed this though, and said, what if you only win seven, right? So nine and 11 in their first 20, you take seven out of these 12 games, you're at 16 and 16 in these combined records from the first 20 games and now getting into this back half. Then the final nine comes up. And when you get to that final nine, after you play New York on the road, Toronto and Washington, two out of three, you got to win. And maybe you even want all three of those because it's a crosstown rival. And we believe that we can be better than the Knicks. Why not? Then it's at home for Chicago and the Lakers. Difficult with the Lakers, obviously. And then the Pacers in a home and home, Detroit, the Kings, Toronto. That's a four game homestand finishing on the road against New York and again, the Philadelphia 76ers. Now, the big difference here that I picked up on from last year to this year is you're talking about, if you remember, the Nets down the stretch were, were lining up against teams that maybe didn't have a lot of lot to play for, right? We're looking at the schedule and saying we're already kind of set into our playoff seating. We can take our foot off the gas here a little bit or try to get our primary matchup that we prefer. That's not going to be the case here. Now, in theory, if Toronto has dumpstered, then you're get, catching them twice down the back end of the season, and that matters. Detroit. That's going to be a game you feel like you have to win, even if they're young and they're exciting, et cetera. The benefit of playing the Pacers twice is really important, and actually three times when you include that earlier run there on March 16th. Three times from March 16th to the end of the season, you're going to play the Pacers, a team that I think is going to be right there with you, whether it's the back end of the, the that seventh seed, the eighth seed, the play-in games, making sure that you're going to get the home court advantage, maybe making sure you get two shots to make it into the playoffs. 
all those opportunities are right in front of you. And also there's no layups. Like I said, outside of Toronto, these are going to be battles. And if the Brooklyn Nets are worth their weight over those last nine games, again, Chicago have to win. Lakers, let's call it a loss because the Western Conference is going to have a ton of play for it. It's not going to be a real rest scenario for them. You have to at least win, though, that one of those Pacer games. You have to beat Detroit. You have to beat Toronto. And you probably then need to maybe sweep the Pacers or get the game off the Knicks, right? Or the 76ers if things have gone off the rails. But five games over the last nine might not be good enough. If you get six games and go six and three over the last nine, you get to 21 and 20 over your last 41 games. That is from, that's accounting for, sorry, it's 21 and 20 total, including those first 20 games at the start of the year. And now the back 21 games at the end of the season, everything in between, none of these matchups, when I'm pointing at them, I am not taking the nets to win any game that they are the underdog in outside of that opener against Cleveland. If they are an underdog coming in, I have them at least marked down as a loss. But inside the rest of the schedule, to end our, our worry week on a high note, the one positive is not included inside of the 41 games that I highlighted, two games against Portland, you'll have another game against the Pacers, and two more games against Detroit to go along with a lot of other matchups, right? Oklahoma City is going to be a better team this year. We expect that. Their over-under is at 44.5. So they're a good team, and they're giving them 44.5 as an over-under in a Western Conference. But can you split those games? Yeah, maybe you can. Can you get a game off the Utah Jazz on December 18th? It's certainly possible. The fact that you're on a West Coast trip that had the Kings, the Suns, the Nuggets, and the Golden State Warriors before you got there, that makes it a little bit harder, right? So it's like these type of moments when you look across the schedule, they can shake out however you want. How do you perform against the Atlanta Hawks? What do they look like as a team? But if you can be someone that is 21 and 20 with some other gettable games on this schedule, this is a team that can push itself 40, 41, 42, and 40, right? That, that is on the docket here. And the thing that we're not including in this is their ability to improve and get better, right? This should be an ascending team. And the obvious caveat here is when we go back to the top, if you only go three and seven in those first 10 games, and then you follow it up with losses to, let's say you just drop one to Orlando, right? Let's say you lose that game to Chicago. Let's say you drop one to the Charlotte Hornets. Well, if all of a sudden you're 20 games in and you're seven and 13, you're six and 14. All the improvement in the world isn't going to matter because you will be done. There will be no coming back for this roster from a hole like that. And that's why it's so critical to come out of the gates, surprise someone early, and stack the wins you know you should have. I'll go back to it. Those first 20 games, you have to win every possible game. That you that is a, a gettable game that's going to be even money when you go to play them. You do that, and maybe you steal one off Atlanta as well, which will be a close to even money game as well. They'll be favored. Get yourself nine wins, maybe be 10 and 10 there. And then you can live with all the other results against the upper echelon Western Conference teams and those long road trip stretches. They won't be as painful as long as you're playing teams tough and developing chemistry and bringing along some younger players. 
But if you dumpster early, there will be no making it up before the all-star break that will not put this team, as we talked about last episode, and trade scenarios that Sean Marks might need to do. Well, then Royce O'Neal has to be gone. And Dorian Finney-Smith has to be gone, right? And there's a world where if Cam Thomas has been getting minutes, but again, it's not translating to team success, he could be gone. And then you're ushering in some younger players, and that'll be interesting and exciting in a different way, but it won't be about making the playoffs anymore because this roster is not constructed in a way where they can afford to come back from a deficit like that. That's the worry, that this team's development and chemistry together takes 15 to 20 games, and by that point, the season is done. That that that, that is the downside of this. The upside of the experiment is that they tread water early and they are one of the teams that incrementally gets better as the year progresses. And I'm optimistic that that's going to be the case. Despite what I just said about how dangerous it could be. But that's why I go back to it. They have a real opportunity. They need to lock in. They need to be sharp from game one. And Jacques Vaughn needs to push the right buttons. He needs to have the right rotations lined in. You cannot be wishy-washy about this stuff training camp starting in September and leading up to October, right? That needs to be productive time on the court for all of these players. You're going to have Mikhail Bridges and Cameron Johnson coming off the USA FIBA tour that they're going to be locked in and ready to go. Everybody has to hit the ground running or this thing could derail very quickly. Next week, we're going to have some uh, guests lined up. So you're going to want to be sure that you're over on YouTube, turning on your alerts and uh, breaking everything down in that regard. I'm sure when Doug absorbs this episode in his own time, he'll tell me that I'm crazy for some of the stretches that I'm talking about. Get in the comments. Is this team a team that's capable, regardless of opponent, of winning seven or eight out of 11 or 12 games? Right? Can they be a team that wins two out of three consistently over a 10 to 15 game stretch? They're going to need one of those moments. How do you feel about it? When you look at the lower level teams, what is the record you think they need to have against the worst of the East and the very few bad teams in the West? And can they punch above their weight? Have that discussion with us over on YouTube, over on Twitter at Locked On Nets, at Adam Armbrecht, even at Doug Norrie as well. Get us on the podcast feed where it's all free. It's all free for you. We absolutely love it. And the last thing we're doing before we get out the door here is check in on YouTube because Doug has been monitoring this hot and heavy, wet and wild, waiting for us to bridge over top of that 6,000 subscriber mark. And you guys are the only ones that can get us there. Guess what, guys? We're there on the nose right now. But, 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 we got to safeguard against this. We can't run the risk of somebody getting salty about the way I broke down the schedule and bailing out on us. So keep spreading the good word, right? Keep pushing us up over that 6,000 mark because now the new goal, as Doug would say, is 7,000. Our journey to 7K begins. It starts with you guys. We really do appreciate it, as we always say, um, everyone getting involved. It's absolutely fantastic. Other than that, with no Doug Norrie, there is no quote short of saying that I miss my friend, and I can't wait until he's back here so we can keep talking all things Brooklyn Nets basketball, 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 schedule, basketball, 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 schedule.